today on Ag News Daily. I just was so frustrated that somebody here in town was that out of touch with dairy farming that they thought that what was being shown was what actually goes on. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here with your Thursday, holy buckets, December 20th, 2018 version of the Ag News Daily Podcast. I am joined by Delaney Howell. And how are you doing today, Ms. Howell? I'm doing much better. I slept a lot last night, so I'm feeling fresh. I'm feeling ready to go, finally. I I told you, a good night's sleep is probably the best cure for that brown bottle flu there is. I did not have the brown bottle flu, but thank you. <laughs> Thanks for that. Well, of course. Well, we're glad you're feeling better. It's still warm. It's rainy. There are mm-hmm. snow showers and rain showers falling across the Midwest and uh, working their way up the East Coast as we get into that busy Christmas traveling weekend. Delaney, yeah. are you traveling anywhere? I am. I'm actually going to Wisconsin Dells with my family. We're going to go skiing and tubing, skating, water parks, blah, blah, blah. So... Indoor water park. Yeah, indoor water park. That'd be a little chilly. I don't think they'd have outdoor water parks going. I think the water would be a little frozen. Yeah, it'd be uh, it'd be definitely a little hard. Yeah, a little bit. Well, good. That'll be fun. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't know. The weather is kind of gross out right now. Kind of rainy and drizzly. So that's not really the ideal skiing weather. No, no, it isn't. I'm up in uh, Rochester, Minnesota today, and we've got snow showers. Mm. So maybe if you go a little further north into the Dells, maybe they're getting some snow. I, I don't I know. I hope so. I sure hope so. But I guess this is a good time to uh, just put it out there, what our schedule is for next week, Mike. Yes, there is no schedule for next <laughs> week. That is the shorthand. We realized that pretty much everything is going on break, and there's just yeah. not going to be a whole lot of news out there, not to mention most of our interviewees are excited to take the week off, or at least work less hard, mm-hmm. and uh, so we're going to join that bandwagon, and we're going to shut down for the next week. We'll be back up on January 3rd. 2nd. Second, yeah. Second, yes. you're right. I had to think about that. Yeah, because yes, exactly. uh, Monday, yeah. Tuesday is New Year's Eve and New Year's Eve day, or New Year's Day. Right. So that'll give you one day to recover from New Year's Eve, which should be plenty delayed. (laughs) Yeah, I should be good by then. Perfect. So, listeners, you've got all of last week to catch up. What? I said, unless I go to jail or something. Well, if you go to jail, I'll take over the podcast. I'm not worried about it, at least for a little while. (laughs) I'm Uh, kidding. So, that's our news, but what news is coming from the world of agriculture? Well, today, uh, we're recording the podcast about 1.30 Central Standard Time, I think, 2.30 2.30 Central Standard Time. No, 1.30 Central Standard Time. Here about, let me, let me just back up there. Here in about 10 minutes from when we're cutting the podcast, President Trump is expected to sign the Farm Bill officially, which will put that into action. Um, however, the USDA announced just this morning about a new proposal that they're kind of trying to tack along with the Farm Bill, and that is limiting states' abilities to waive existing work requirements for certain food stamp recipients, specifically SNAP, which is kind of essentially giving the House GOP some of what they originally sought in the Farm Bill. So the proposed changes, uh, actually let me back up. So under the current law, able-bodied adults without dependents 
can't receive SNAP benefits for more than three months during a three-year period unless they're working or enrolled in an education or training program for 80 hours a month. But states can waive that time limit when unemployment is high and there aren't enough jobs available, etc. So they're going to try and refine that. So the proposed rule would tighten that criteria so that states must meet when applying for the waivers and an estimated 755,000 people without children would lose SNAP benefits or without dependents over the next three years if the proposal is implemented. However, the project is projected to save $15 billion over the next decade. Jeez, that's a sizable sum of money. Yeah. So it's $15 billion. I'm not quite sure how that works. Like, if President Trump can just sign it into law, I assume Congress has to vote on it, too. My guess would be, and this is just an assumption, knowing what little I know about the political structure, since this is included in the farm bill, uh, or, or since the rule was written into the farm bill, now USDA gets to write the rule, and they get to kind of define mm. it however they want. So they're taking the the GOP's suggestions and writing it to be a little more stringent, perhaps, than the Democratic members of Congress who voted for it ah. anticipated. That's my guess. That sounds like it makes kind of some sense. So I'm sure that'll tick off some Democrats and people that, I am you know, didn't like that in the first place. Sure, you're right, Delaney. And speaking of ticked off Congress people, uh, yesterday I'd made mention that, hey, it sounds like we're not going to have a government shutdown. President Trump sounded like he was willing to let go of his $5 billion to fund the wall. There was a funding package that passed the Senate mm-hmm. on a voice vote yesterday. And then it got bogged down in the House as a number of conservative Republican House members said, hey, we want funding for this wall. And that got back to President Trump. And President Trump has said, we're not going to do anything unless more funding is included. So as of right now, as we're recording this, just about 30 minutes ago, President Trump had a phone call with uh, leaders in the on the Republican side in the House of Representatives trying to figure out a way forward. Um, but we might have a government shutdown come Saturday night after all, if President Trump decides not to sign this uh, short-term funding measure. Um, So I read something a little bit different. I read that the House is expected to vote on the measure today and pass it. Yes, that's the plan, but then President Trump might not sign it. Mm. Then Nancy Pelosi has said, we'll get Democrats on board and override a veto, but Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be tough to do. I think so, too, especially since they go to recess tomorrow. Yes. So government shutdown might be coming. If you need to get into the FSA office and get your bushel certified, do it sooner rather than later if you can. Also, this this uh, stopgap spending bill will only last until February 8th. So the new Congress won't have that much time to, you know, fix it, revote on it, etc. before they'll either have to do this again or put in another stopgap. Right. Right. We'll be hearing about this. All these shenanigans yet again. Crisis to crisis is how it seems to be we operate. Mm. It also seems to be how we're operating in the soybean markets, especially when we look at what's going on in Chinese trade. The USDA reported a second purchase of of Chinese soybeans, excuse me, of U.S. soybeans heading to China just today. They purchased 204,000 metric tons of soybeans. And it also the USDA also reported a sale of 257,000 metric tons of soybeans for a delivery to, quote, unknown destinations. And, of course, a lot of traders and analysts assume 
That usually means China. It does usually mean China, but I don't know why China would purchase it mm-hmm. as an unknown destination if they're trying to curry favor with the president. So I'm, mm, I, I, I'm not so sure about that this time. One of the things I wondered is if they put in unknown destinations, does that have any effect with like tariff stuff? Like if they put in unknown destinations, do they still have to pay the tariffs? Or because yes. I was reading something this morning or yesterday that said um, China was starting to consider to allow like private soybean crushers to import soybeans from the U.S. tariff-free. So I was wondering, I mean, I don't know this, and this is just a theory or a a thought, but maybe they're allowing these companies to import U.S. soybeans and get around the tariffs, and they put unknown destinations in there, so it doesn't look like they're allowing them to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it could be. It just makes a conspiracy theory. Yeah, could could certainly be the case. You never know with uh, what's going on in China. But a 200,000-some metric ton order is a tiny drop yeah, in the bucket. They really need to step it up if we're going to even get to the USDA target of, uh, mm. what, is, 9 million metric yeah. tons? Is that the USDA? Yeah. yeah. So. Well, so now we're up to 3.26 million metric tons. And last year during this time, they purchased somewhere in the neighborhood of 35 million metric tons. Yeah, so we're at, we're at ten percent of typical Chinese purchases, yes. and amidst a big crop and a big carryout, we really, if they are going to step up and do the right thing, they need to do it sooner rather than mm-hmm. later. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of prices that continue to fall, oil prices today touched a low we haven't seen in almost 18 months. West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil dropped all the way down to $45 and change today, almost uh, 4550 That's its lowest price since late August of 2017. So crude is definitely getting cheaper if uh, those of you out there needing to lock in prices before OPEC decides to cut their production, quote unquote, Mm, not a bad was, time to do it. You said that was in Texas, though? Well, that's the the West Texas Intermediate is the futures uh, contract okay, okay. for what, gotcha. what we base our crude oil on. Gotcha. Yeah, that's yep. crazy to see it keep falling. Yeah, just dropping like a stone. Basically, mm-hmm. the traders are still concerned about the slowdown in global trade. And today was just kind of a, uh, a red day on Wall Street overall. It seemed as though, other than livestock, which we'll get to when we get to the markets, Everybody was looking to sell almost everything today, which included corn and beans and stocks and oil and you Mm. name it. All right. Well, speaking of other things that are dropping, we're going to see Japan continue to lower tariffs on their fellow Pacific Rim Trade Pact members, part of the new agreement, the CPTPP, or the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership, in two weeks here, less than two weeks. They're going to be dropping tariffs primarily on beef, their uh, their tariffs at the moment are 38.5%. They're dropping those down to 27.5%, which will primarily benefit Canada and Australia. But again, beef producers, I think, continue to put pressure on the Trump administration to see, hey, we want these same tariffs to be dropped on our end, too. Darn right. We want to be in those markets, and we don't want to be... We don't want to be disadvantaged when it comes to uh, competing with our fellow cattlemen and women in Australia. Mm -hmm. And if we can get that bilateral trade agreement going with Japan, maybe we could get these kind of agreements if Japan decides they do want to do a bilateral. That's right. Well, I've got an update here from John Deere. 
John Deere is launching a startup collaborator program. Basically, they're trying to bring together startups that want to work with John Deere and kind of bring them not in-house. They would still be separate startups, but bring them in enough that they could utilize some of John Deere's technology, Hmm. utilize their interfaces, and make sure that everything that these startup companies are building will integrate with John Deere trackers. I thought that was a really unique idea, and, uh, you know, we'll see if it has some success. I wonder if, like, SmartAg or anybody that we've talked to on the podcast will uh, take advantage of that. I wonder, although SmartAg, you know, or, or some of these other companies that we've worked with on the podcast, they're far enough along. They've already made it yeah, work. You know, maybe true. they don't need to get in there. Mm-hmm. The three companies working to be already part of the program are Bear Flag Robotics. It's a California company kind of doing, it sounds like, what SmartAg does. They're building autonomous technology for tractors and implements. Mm-hmm. A company called Hello Tractor, which is Nigerian, and uh, they're working to develop uh, a fleet or an application that will manage tractor fleets for small farmers, and Tyrannus, which is an Israeli company, building an automated field scouting service based on aerial imagery and utilizing deep learning for problem detection and analysis in agriculture. I don't know what the heck deep learning <laughs> is, but it certainly sounds like uh, uh, something That's like a, nerdy. Well, yeah, that's like a buzzword right now in education, deep learning. Oh, it is? Yeah. Learning things deeply. Sure. Yeah, I, I don't know what it <laughs> means, but that's the update there. Okay. Well, I should have said this earlier when we were talking a little bit about the uh, trade aid and government shutdown and whatnot, but Bill Nordy, USDA Undersecretary for Farm Production and Conservation, said it could take a week to two weeks before government checks get sent out for the second half of 2018 production, especially if we begin to see a government shutdown. So far, we've kind of got some updates here on the estimated total that's been paid out so far. In the first round, we saw about $128 million being paid out to dairy producers, $119 million sent out to wheat producers, $96 million to corn, $112 to sweet cherries, $63.3 to almond producers, $157 million to sorghum, $277 million to cotton producers, $291 million to pork producers, and $7.25 billion or 75% of the payments devoted to soybean growers. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Soy was the uh, one of the hardest hit, so it makes sense they would get the most dollars. Yep. So it's, we're expected to see those numbers double here in the second half of payments. And again, if you already have signed up for those payments, you do not have to go back to your FSA office and fill out any more paperwork. They should just automatically send you that check here, depending on when government shutdown happens or doesn't happen. Right, so they're just going to double your money and cut you that check. That's right. Put it in your bank account. That's right. If you want to double your money again, Delaney, you know what you do? What? You fold it over and you stick it in your pocket. (laughs) That's a good joke. That's good for you. Yeah. Well, I tell you, Delaney, I'm all out of ag news. Should we jump into the market? Should you give any more stories our listeners need to be aware? Let's jump into the markets, Mike. All right, folks, our markets are brought to us by our great friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, it's never too late to start working on a marketing plan for next year's production. Give our friends at Zaner a call. They'll help you put one together and stick to it. You can reach them at 312-277-0050. Looking at the markets today, 
As I mentioned on the grain side, it was kind of a sell-off. Wheat was the lone exception. Looking at corn, the March corn contract was down five and a half cents at three seventy-six and a quarter. The May down five and three quarters to finish at three eighty-four even. In soybeans, the January contract dropped five and a quarter cents at eight ninety-four and three quarters. The March down five and a quarter, closed the day at nine oh seven and three quarters. Chicago wheat March contract up two and a quarter cents at five twenty-four and, a, and three quarters. The May up two and a half cents to finish at five thirty-two and a quarter. Looking over at livestock, it does appear that uh, feeder cattle certainly caught a bid today. In live cattle, the February contract was up ten cents at one twenty-two thirty-five. The April was unchanged on the day at one twenty-four fifty-seven fifty. In feeders, that January contract was up a dollar twenty-two and a half at one forty-seven forty-two fifty. The March up a dollar seventeen fifty to finish at one forty-five forty-five. And lean hogs, the February contract was down thirty-two and a half cents at one. At 62.37.50, the April down 10 cents to finish at 67.77 and a half. And in the dairy market, they also were able to catch a bid today with Class 3 milk futures in December being unchanged on the day at 13.84, while a January was up 11 cents to finish at 14.29. For our interview this Thursday, we have a fun conversation with Mr. Derek Josie, a dairy farmer out in Oregon. Well, we're going to be having a fun conversation with Derek Josie. Some of you might know him from Twitter. He tweets quite a bit. He's from the northwest corner of Oregon. Derek, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. <laughs> Thank you for having me. So tell us about your operation there in northwestern Oregon. What are you growing? What are you raising? What are you doing? Well, we're, we're, we're a dairy operation, but just like every other dairy operation, we also grow our own feedstuffs for our cattle. So we're a bit of everything. We grow corn and grass silage, and we also pasture during the summer. Uh, we're milking. Hi. That's my daughter, by the way. She's six <laughs> months old. Uh, we're milking 500 jerseys at the moment, and uh, we just actually hit our century farm status here in Oregon. So we've been in on the same farm. We've gotten a little bigger, but we've been doing this for a hundred years now. Wow! Congratulations. Now you're yeah. mil- milking jerseys. Why jerseys as opposed to Holsteins or anything else? Well, because as any Jersey farmer will tell you, they are the better breed. <laughs> but um, we're in a cheese market, which means we get paid on our components. Um, so it's better. You make more money with jerseys. You're getting paid on like your cheese that, components. Does that mean that you're also making the cheese or just getting paid on uh, the end product? No, we are we are one of the member owners of the Chillamuck Co-op. So oh, okay. It, technically, it is our cheese, too. But um, it, what that means is we get paid on our butter, fat, and protein. Um, and jerseys have significantly higher butter, fat, and protein content in their milk and so a normal jersey herd for 100 pounds of milk you'll be making somewhere between 11 and 12 pounds of cheese whereas a Holstein herd my Holstein friends are going to butcher me for this but uh, probably somewhere between 9 and 10 pounds of cheese gotcha. for 100 pounds of milk different purposes so. for different breeds makes sense yeah 
Now, when people think about so you're not too far from Portland, and I know when I, as a Midwesterner, think of the West Coast, I think of Portland, I think of the show Portlandia and some of the wackier things that the citizens of Portland have tried to do. What's it like being a farmer out there? Uh, It's it's really not that. I don't think it's that much different than anywhere else. We all have our quirky people. Um, A lot of them actually just want to know what's going on on farms. I mean, you do get your irrational activists every once in a while, but... I think you get that everywhere. Yeah. So, I mean, Portland is an interest. I love Portland. I love, I, I, it's a great place to go visit. It's a beautiful town. It has its quirks. It has its riots and silly things like that. But some of the best food you'll ever find in this country is in Portland. So it's a great place to visit. I'm just glad I don't have to live there. <laughs> well, that's kind of a great segue because... Looking at your Twitter profile, you're posting a lot of videos about, well, I mean, some of them look like rants. Some of them are um, you showing stuff from your operation. And then you've got this thing called TDF Honest Farming. Are you, is this like your activist platform or your advocate platform? Uh, Well, it actually started as Tillamook Dairy Farmer. And I'm transitioning it because I want to, I want a little more distance between myself and people, what people think of as, you know, the brand Tillamook. Um, because I do take the activists, uh, all activists, anybody that wants to try and tell me how the, that how what I'm doing on my farm is killing them. I take them on head on. And so I started on Facebook and, and it's, It'll be trans. My Facebook will be transitioned to TDF Honest Farming in January. It's still Tillamook Dairy Farmer. It started two years ago after I, well, somebody in Tillamook actually shared an activist video about dairy farming. And I just was so frustrated that somebody here in town, a town that's known for cheese, that has more cows than it has humans was that out of touch with dairy farming that they thought that what was being shown was what actually goes on. So I thought, okay, I can do something about that. Uh, and it's kind of taken off. I, I'm at 25,000 followers on Facebook, wow. my Instagram, I'm 3,400 and Twitter's about the same. Uh, but Twitter has always been my relief valve where I can just not be so, because on the other ones, I, I'm pretty, uh, I don't want to say gentle because I definitely don't, I disabuse them of their ideas, but I do it in a much more, uh, a little more soft spoken, maybe with the word here. Yeah. Polite, know, politically correct. Polite. Politically correct, yeah, whereas Twitter, anybody that's on Twitter knows that that won't get you anywhere on Twitter. <laughs> it's, that's why it's so great. Yeah, it, it's if you think that you're going to get somewhere with Twitter by playing it safe, you're not. So it's a relief valve for me on Twitter. That's why it's not branded the same as the others. 
Well, so Derek, talk about what were some of the things in the video that initially got you fired up that were misconceptions? What do you run into when consumers or activists are presenting their quote unquote case against dairy? What comes up again and again? What do you just say again and again? Uh, Well, they they kind of actually um, roll and they change things over time. But the most common, you know, forcibly impregnated because you can evidently force a cow to get pregnant. Um, if she doesn't want to, you know, and, and then their favorite term when I started doing it was rape racks, which would, they were talking about stanchions and it's like, so I broke down what a stanchion was used for all the different uses and how it's better for the cows and for us that they, we can administer medicine or check them and do all the stuff we do without them trying to run us over or get spooked because then I, you know, I did video of them standing in a stanchion. I actually had one of my cows that I had in a lockup. I let her go. She gets out, walks like 10 feet further down on the stanchions and walks back up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, just, I found that video really just shows the lie for what it is. Uh, you know, another one of the things they say is we steal the calves and they don't get any milk, you know, and it's like, okay, how are the calves going to be raised if you're not feeding them? Well, you're just killing them, aren't you, Derek? You, there's no value in a calf, right? <laughs> right, because we don't want to be dairy farming into the future. Um, yeah, that, that's that? the one that never made any sense to me. Hmm. Hey. Sorry, I got distracted by my daughter. Um, uh, yeah, or or the fact that this is, uh, I've seen pictures of, you know, a carousel. That's the circular parlor that goes round and round and cows get on, get milk and get off. And the caption was, cows have to stand here 24 hours a day. And mm-hmm. it's just like, okay, how are you they getting food? That doesn't even make any sense. So, you know, if they're always doing stuff. My favorite, one of my favorite things I did, because they are always talking about if people only knew where their food comes from. Uh, I did a satirical video where I just sat there and I said, oh, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest with everybody. The, the farmers have been lying to you forever. When you eat that hamburger, it's coming from a cow. <laughs> when you, when you eat bacon, it comes from a pig. I'm sorry, people. We, we." kept that from you and <laughs> I can't handle hiding that from you anymore. I mean, it's just because you go really people know what they're eating. Yes. <laughs> they do. Cake. Yeah. And so do you get much feedback from consumers? Are they mm-hmm. going, Hey, thanks for putting this out there. Or is it mainly other activists saying, well, you're just part of the problem, blah, 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 blah. Well, I get my fair share of activists, and in the beginning, I tried to talk to them, which is never a winning strategy. So my my message is geared to your normal person that's living in a city that just wants to know that we aren't abusing animals. We aren't drenching our crops in pesticides and herbicides, and that we eat the same foods they do. Mm-hmm. Because they aren't dumb. If you explain it in a rational way, they go, oh, okay, that makes sense. So you can you use uh, GMO corn and because it's 
uh, glyphosate uh, resistant, you don't have to till the field, which is actually better for the environment. Yeah. Hmm. And so, and then, you know, if I didn't have that, I'd have to till, I'd have to spray different chemicals. You'd still be using chemicals, but you'd be using more. And they, a lot of times would be more toxic. And so people, when you explain things like that, they go, oh, well, that makes a lot of sense. Then you have the ones that go, no, that causes cancer. And you just, okay, hmm. you go ahead and eat whatever you're wanting to eat. Um, but for the most part, I, I don't aim to try and change an activist's opinion because I might as well just bang my head against the yeah. wall. It's not going to happen. Right. Yeah. It's not worth wasting your time or your breath for those type of people. So besides, uh, I guess, activists towards like consumers and whatnot, you also mentioned in a conversation before this. Um, that you're also focused on legislative action for the state of Oregon. Can you walk us yeah, through some of I, that involvement? Well, yeah, because I, I, I'm very active in Farm Bureau and my Oregon Dairy Association. And there's right now we're looking at this legislative concept 2718 that just got uh, announced. And it's it's basically a backdoor way of taking away farms right to farm. Uh, they start with, uh, it's just geared towards dairy farms, which, you know, really hits close to home to me for some reason. Um, and it changes if, if you're milking 700 cows and they are in a freestall operation, they take you and they change you from farm to, uh, an industrial entity, which basically takes away your right to farm law protections. You uh, become just like the gas companies and everybody else. So the odd thing, though, is that they put a provision in there that if you're grazing cows, you can have up to 2,500. Huh. <laughs> you know, my definitely trying to. Office. Yeah, kind of a uh, social engineering yeah. type of thing. Right. And my common sense processes go, so if 700 cows is industrial, why wouldn't three times that number still be industrial? So the mm. same amount of waste and everything. And arguably, the ones that are in the barns, we have more control over where that waste is going. Weird. So what so, are your thoughts here? Does this sound like it has pretty good traction in the legislature? Yeah. Is this is this a real threat? No. I don't, I don't want to say it's not. This is Oregon, and we already touched on Portlandia. Yeah. So, but I don't think it does. I think it's to appease the same group that tried to get the cow farts legislation in Oregon passed <laughs> that, that didn't pass. Mm -hmm. But, you know, because there's the whole theory that cows are causing climate change, even though... Uh, for instance, dairy farmers, we have a third of the dairy cows in the country that we had in 1944, and we're producing the same amount of milk. So please tell me how less cows are causing more problems. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, those are the, I, I honestly try not to get political on my pages unless it involves agriculture, because I feel like I've taken up enough 
causes that I don't really want to <laughs> take on all of politics. Well, yeah, you know? I mean, it sounds like you've got a lot. Obviously, we can hear your daughter in the background. You've got your dairy cattle. You are kind of an activist on Twitter. You're getting involved in legislation with your Farm Bureau. How do you manage all of that? Well, I wouldn't if I didn't have a smartphone. Um, <laughs> that's the thing about farming is, you know, it's all the time, but I have, like when I'm mixing feed for my cows, I have 10 minutes while it's mixing that I can do updates and I can work on stuff. And then, you know, I have my six-month-old, I, I'm taking care of her from eight till one thirty usually Monday through Friday while my wife is at work. So when she's napping, I have time to work on stuff and reply. And then there's days like today where she just is go, go, go. <laughs> but I wouldn't change it for the world. She's, she's such an angel and it's just been a lot of fun actually being able to be the parent that gets to, interact with her for most of the day yeah the stay-at-home dad well that's awesome Derek we really appreciate your time um if folks want to interact with you on Twitter and see what you're tweeting out kind of what you're activating or or uh pushing people to do on Facebook Twitter and Instagram where can they find you uh Twitter I am just search at Derek Josie uh Instagram I am TDF Honest Farming and on Facebook, you can find me at Tomac Dairy Farmer. And if it's after January 1st, it should be also TDF Honest Farming. Awesome. Derek, thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Anytime. Well, Delaney, good stuff there. Good thoughts here as we get ready to gear up and head into a holiday weekend. Yeah, we have one more podcast tomorrow. And maybe Mike will do some special Christmas caroling, although I know you hate Christmas music. I don't hate all Christmas music, just the Christmas songs that are heard all too often. Like what? Like all of them. So, yeah, you don't like Christmas music. You're basically <laughs> I like, the Grinch. I like Feliz Navidad. Really? Of all the Christmas songs, that's the one Feliz you like? Feliz Navidad. <laughs> oh, jeez. Feliz Navidad. Oh, so people... I want to wish you a Merry Christmas on the bottom of my heart. I hope people stay tuned for this, because that is something they definitely don't want to miss, you singing karaoke at the end. Darn right. Yeah. Darn right. And without any sort of liquid <laughs> encouragement as well. This is just me rocking it, uh, rocking it on my own merits. No eggnog? No eggnog. All right. Well, we hope everybody will join us again for one more podcast tomorrow or interact with us on Facebook and Twitter. We'll probably still be posting stuff on there, don't you think, during oh, Christmas yeah. week? Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm hopelessly addicted to Twitter. <laughs> well, if they want to interact with us on Twitter, Mike, or Facebook, where should they head? They should head right now. Put down your headphones and head to <laughs> Ag News Daily or at Ag News Daily on Twitter. Search for that on Facebook. We'll come up on both, and you can stay right in touch with us and give us your thoughts on stories that need to be covered around the country. With that, Delaney, should we let our listeners go? Let's let them go.